Today's scripture is taken from the book of 1 Timothy, verses chap- chapter 6, verses 6 to 10. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of it. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Good, good morning and, and welcome. It's so good to, uh, to be here with you. My name is Nathan. If you don't know me, that's okay. Uh, I'm one of your pastors. I serve primarily at our Olathe campus, um, have recently stepped into a role working across all of our campuses. And Gabe, before he left on sabbatical, uh, leaving us to fend for himself, for ourselves, um, asked me to come out a couple times. And so I'm so glad to, to be able to be with you and to be here. Um, I have, I, this is actually my first Sunday um, that I've been downtown with you. I've been on staff at Christ Community for 12 years. Uh, but first Sunday morning I've spent with you, and I'm just, I'm really, really grateful uh, for the opportunity. I love what God is doing uh, through the downtown campus. I love Gabe. Um, I mean, truthfully, I mean, Gabe is one of my best friends. Uh, we miss that guy, don't we? Um, he came over, he and, he and Allie and the kids, they came over on Friday. It's just so good to see them. They look so refreshed, and, you know, they're just, yeah, they're doing great. Um, but we miss them. Sabbaticals are hard. Uh, and yet we do it as a church because we love, we love Gabe. We love Allie. Uh, we don't see it as... Uh, this policy that we have for sabbaticals for our pastors, it's not a, it's not a reward or incentive. Um, it feels like that for those of us who receive them, uh, but it's an investment. It's because we want Gabe and Allie here for a long time, don't we? Uh, we want to invest in our future uh, together. And so we miss them, but we're excited to, for them. And uh, you're in good hands with Tyler. I mean, Tyler, come on, right? Tyler, it's pretty great. So um, very, very excited for me, for me to be here. And I, again, I just, I love, I love hearing what God is doing in this place. Gabe is such a good storyteller. So he's always telling us stories and Tyler too, of what, what God is doing here, uh, through all of you. And it's just been so exciting to hear and, and to think about these last several years. I mean, the way this little storefront church, uh, in our city is exploding, uh, and the ways in which all of you care for this community, love our city, um, are engaged with the marginalized and everything that's going on. It's just, it's, it's really, really exciting. So thanks for letting me be a, be a part of it. Thanks for your generosity, your service, your, your engagement. And even though we don't see each other very often, um, it's such a privilege uh, for me to be one of your pastors. I mean that. Um, I love you. And thank you for letting me, letting me be here. Let me pray and we'll jump in uh, together. God, I'm so grateful that you have called us as a church and even even the unique way that you've called Christ's community to spread out across our city. And what a privilege it is to serve with Gabe and Tyler and Ryan and God, just for the work that you're doing here and across all of our campuses. And so God, I I pray now as we come to your word that uh, you would remind us that you speak through all of us, through your word, through your spirit, no matter who's up here, um, that you long to communicate through, through your scriptures, through your spirit. So give us hearts to hear it, um, eager to be changed. Help us to see our sin and to hate it, uh, but also to see your redemption, your forgiveness, um, and to embrace the whole life that you've called us to. Do that work, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. 
Before weeks from today, uh, my family and I, we are driving uh, to the Grand Tetons, leaving after church, and we're headed, we're headed west. And like, I could, I could see them already. I mean, I, I love the mountains. I love camping. I love national parks. That's just kind of like, that's part of who I am. Um, and so like, I can already just imagine it. I'm just so giddy thinking about it. And, and the fun part about, you know, driving to the mountains, if you had this experience, is like, like they warn you like miles and miles off that they're coming, right? You just get more and more excited. They're like, calling you closer, right? They're beckoning you forth um, as, you, as you go. It's part of the fun. Uh, now, a, a couple of years ago, we drove to the Grand Canyon, uh, which is a very, very different experience, right? Because you, you drive for miles and miles and miles. You finally get off the interstate, and it's like, it's still nothing, right? You can't see anything. It's just empty, right? Nothing. Uh, and then, you know, you go farther, farther, and you're in the middle of nowhere, and still you can't see anything. You just believe in these signs. And you even enter the park, and you're still driving, and and nothing. And then finally, like you take that last turn and I mean, you almost fall into it. There it is. And it's massive. It's unbelievable. Like you can't even hardly imagine that you somehow missed it before. Like you couldn't, you couldn't see it. It's, it's, I mean, it just comes up, sneaks up right on you, doesn't it? And we've, we've been in this, this series together as a church across all of our campuses on these vices and virtues, right? The seven, seven deadly sins. And, and we've said throughout that these, these sins, they're not the worst thing that you can do. They are the habits that form us, that shape us. And, and when it comes to sin, there are, there are Grand Teton sins and there are Grand Canyon sins, Right? The, the Grand Teton sends the mountain, like you could see them, you know, you know, you don't, don't go there, right? You, you see them. If you take Jesus seriously, like, you know, those things, you see them coming, you're going to, you're going to fight against them, right? If you want to take Jesus seriously, they're obvious. And so we run. But these deadly sins, these, these vices, like they're, they're more of the Grand Canyon variety, aren't they? Man, they're sneaky. Like you could almost swear that you don't deal with any of them and then all of a sudden you turn some corner and like this massive pit you're about to fall into, right? I mean, so many of them, they're hidden deep within our lives. The, the roots, you know, we don't notice them. We, so we don't even know to fight against them. And we can come up upon them and fall in without even knowing it. That's, that's why they're deadly. And so we've talked about envy and sloth and next week is anger, so that'll be fun. And they seem so small, don't they? We hide them away. We just sort of assume that they're probably somebody else's problem. And then wham. And this, this is especially true, I think, with the deadly sin of greed. Mm. This will be fun, won't it? Greed. I mean, thank God nobody, nobody in here is greedy, right? Uh, we all know greedy people, um, but none of us struggle with this, right? I mean, I'm not, I'm not greedy. I just, I just like nice things, right? I'm not greedy. I don't even have that much. I'm not greedy. I'd, I'd like to give more. I just can't. I'm not, I'm not greedy. I don't, I don't want a lot, just want a little bit more. You see the canyon? Hidden away, right? Sneaking up, and I'm so much closer to falling in than I'd ever care to admit. And so friends, if we, if we learn just one thing about Greed Canyon this morning, 
you just take one thing with you, I hope it's this, as we talk through these, these various vices and virtues, when it comes to greed, the more you want, the less you'll have. The more you want, the less you'll have. And you and I are probably both a little greedier than we think, right? If you have a Bible, turn to, to 1 Timothy 6. We heard part of it read a moment ago. As we, as we look at this, this text, so, you know, the Apostle Paul, he's writing this letter to this young pastor named Timothy, and he's giving him instructions of what does it mean to follow Jesus and to, to live this, this life out. And as we look at these things, we're going to see three things, kind of as we track through this passage. First of all, we're going to see that greed promises way more, uh, promises happiness, uh, but can never be satisfied. That's the first thing. Second, we'll see that what we're, what we're looking for is already offered to us. It's promised to us. And third, as we get to application, that we'd better, we'd better give it away before we have nothing left. It's going to be great, right? You ready? Oh, boy. This hurts. First, first thing we see is that greed promises happiness but can never be satisfied. And in fact, Paul tells us, like in that first section, that really the greedy person destroys themselves, destroys all of their relationships, and even can destroy their faith. Look what he says again, beginning of verse, verse 6. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. Let's stop there. Okay, so let me... Let me begin with a little bit of a confession, just so we're all kind of on the same page, all right? Because I know this is, this is awkward. Um, so let me just say first, I like money. I like, I like the way money makes me feel. I like stuff. Um, and I, again, just being honest here, I would, like, I would like a little bit more of it, right? And the reason I say that, like, I, I just, I know... I know what it's like, you know, you, here you are sitting in church, you don't know me from Adam, right? Um, and I just said that you probably have a money problem. Um, and if you're intuitive, you're probably going to, you're probably already sort of sensing that at some point we're going to talk about giving some of that money away, right? And, and so a few of us are squirming just a little bit, right? It makes us uncomfortable. And so I tell you that because I want you to know, like, this is, this is a Nathan problem. Like, this is not something that... I mean, I need this message as much as anybody. And it is as hard for me to give it as it is for you to hear it. I promise you that. This, I mean, I stink at this. But what Paul tells us here, we believe it's better, right? We believe that what, what is written in this book is better for us, even when it hurts. Besides, you and I both know, I mean, if, if we're being honest, you and I both know, um, I would be a lousy pastor, and Christ's community would be a lousy church if we didn't talk about money, wouldn't we? Because we, we know how powerful it is. We know how destructive it is. We know how big the canyon and, and deadly it can be. We have to talk about it. And did, you hear, did you hear what Paul says? Greed promises so much, but only delivers death. I mean, first we, de we destroy ourselves, our own chance at happiness with greed, right? I mean, look, look did you notice the, the emphasis on contentment in the, in the passage there, the first part? I mean, oh, to be content, right? Happy, satisfied, 
But greed is the, the opposite. Greed cannot be content. It cannot be happy because it's always, it's always by very definition, right? It's searching for more, longing for more. It's always looking to that, that, next, that next thing. Greed is the opposite of contentment, which is why the greedy person can never be happy. And so, you know, verse, verse 9, Paul says, but those who desire to be rich. Does that describe anybody here? Oh, man. It'd be so great, wouldn't it? I just want a little, I just want it if I were a rich man, right? You know, you hear that song in the back of your head. Oh, if only, if only, if only we could have more, we think. Kind of reminds me, they didn't kick me out in the first service, so I'm going to go here. Um, reminds me of the, you know, the Bruno Mars song. You gotta, you gotta love that guy, right? A little, little peek here. Oh, oh. Well, you, gotta, you gotta hear it. Let's try it again. I wanna be a billionaire, so. Yeah, and that's where you have to stop, right? If you know that song, like it ends there. If you, if you haven't heard that song, that is the end of it. That's the full thing. Um, but what I, what I love about that is like, I mean, Bruno makes greed sound so good, doesn't it? I mean, he's just, his voice, and like, when, when I'm feeling greedy, like, I don't, I don't call it greed, right, um, for myself, but like, that's, how, that's what it sounds like in my head, right, my desire to, to be rich and to have more, uh, when, the re- when the reality is, greed, I mean, greed sounds probably a little bit more like, like this, let's, let's take this one. Right? I mean, that's, it sounds, it sounds in our head like Bruno Mars, but that's actually a little bit more accurate. And, and Paul says, right, the greedy person cannot be happier or cannot be happy. Um, it destroys ourselves. And then second, right, it doesn't stop there. It destroys our relationships. Look at verse 9. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. Strong words, but we know they're true. I mean, we've exp- how many lies have been told for more? How many people have been abused? How many, how many people have been cheated? How many people have we, have we cheated? How many, how many murders have there been? How many wars? How many families ruined? How many children ignored? How many times have we, you and I, turned our back to someone else in need or taken something, even, even unknowingly from another, at, at, at their expense? I mean, greed and injustice. I mean, they're two sides of the same coin, aren't they? That's how they, that's how they work. Rebecca DeYoung writes, the hallmark of well-entrenched greed is a willingness to use people to serve our love for money rather than the use of money to serve our love for people. The greed doesn't even stop there. The canyon goes deeper. It takes everything. It starts with ourselves, our relationships, and then, and then even our faith. Look at verse 10. It is through this craving to be rich that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. It's this desire that's caused many, he says, to leave Jesus, to walk away from salvation. I mean, 
we know that. Like, it just makes sense, right? Because if you're greedy and God doesn't give you what you want, you're going to hate him for it. You're going to resent him. Why didn't he give me more? Or worse, you do get what you want. And you begin to realize, think to yourself, well, I don't, I don't really need God, right? I have all of this other stuff. It destroys us. And I, I know, I know, at this point, many of us probably assume this sermon is about someone else. You know, we don't, we don't see the canyon up ahead. But here, here's a good rule of thumb I've tried to just embrace. I just try to assume I'm greedier than I think I am. Like, just start there, because nobody thinks they're greedy, right? Nobody. So there's a good chance you and I were both were greedier than we think we are. You can be poor and be greedy. You can be rich and be greedy. And the reality is, like, if, if you're convinced you don't have a problem but are sort of, like, really nervous about where this sermon is going to go, right? You just feel deeply uncomfortable in this moment. I mean, that might be telling you something, right? We don't like talking about money and thinking about what it, the implications of what it means for us. We hate it. Everyone is susceptible to this. And so before we, before we go on, we've got to ask ourselves, what do I see in my heart? Like, what's, what's in here? Am I content with what I have? No matter what it is, very little or, or very much, are you content and if not, what will it take to make you content? Are you sure? Like you get that and it's going to be fine then? That raise or that item, you know, it's finally going to come from Amazon. It's like, is, are you sure? How much will be enough? The more you want, the less you'll have. Have you ever heard the old like, how to catch a monkey, you know, like you, with the trap that you make and how it works. And brought a little uh, visual aid here. I have, I have kids, elementary kids, so they, they like visuals. Um, but essentially, if you want to like catch a monkey, they say like you, you, make, you make something like, like this, you put a little treat at the bottom of it, and you make it so their, their hand can fit in when it's open, right? But as soon as, as, soon as they grab on and, and close around it, like they, you know, you can't get it off, right? It's, it's there, it's stuck, and, and all of that. And, and the reality is, like, in that, that scheme for a monkey, and you're thinking, like, stupid monkey, right? Monkey's an idiot. I would never do that. But, like, for the monkey, like, it's not the trap that's the problem because all they have to do is open their hand, right? It's not that hard. It's not even the, the treat that's really the, the, the problem. It's, it's the unwillingness to let go. And, and again, we think, well, that's a dumb thing. That's monkey. We humans, we're so much better, right? But how many of us are trapped, how many of us would benefit if we just opened our hands, just released it to someone else? Because, friends, the solution here that Paul goes to, it's so good. I mean, greed, greed sneaks up on us. We don't see it coming. But, but according to God's word, I love this. This is so important. If you want to, 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 to squelch that the root of that sin in your, in your life, as I, as I want to in mine, you have to believe, we have to see from God's word that what we're, what we're really looking for, it's already offered to us. It's already been, been promised to us because none of us are looking for money. I mean, not really, right? It's not, it's not money that draws us in. It's what money promises us, right? Like you don't want to just sort of Scrooge McDuck, right? As fun as this looks, right? You know this, huh? 
Like nobody, that's not why we want money. We don't, we don't want it for that reason, just swimming in a pile of gold. It's what money promises that sucks us in. Money tells me that I can be safe, right? I can solve my own problems. I can feel in control of my life with money. Money tells me I can be important, or at least look important, successful, admired, loved, right? Dress the part. Money tells me I can be happy. If you do this, if you have this, if you buy, ah, oh, then that warm fuzzy feeling. And listen, there is nothing wrong with money. Okay? It's okay to make money. It's okay to have money, spend money, save money. It's, money's not really the problem. The problem is that money is a liar, and I believe it. I, I believe the lies that it, that it tells me. For everything money promises. Like Jesus promises even more, doesn't he? And frankly, better, doesn't he? Look, look at verse, verse 11 for Paul here. He says, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you are called. Then, then skip down a little bit. Look how he refers to, to our God. He, he refers to him as he who is the blessed and only sovereign, like all power, the king of kings and lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Friends, the problem is that we make money our king. When Jesus, he's already the king of kings. He promises to keep you safe. He, he promises to make you somebody. Like you're, you're a daughter or son of God himself, right? He promises to, to satisfy us, to, to give us joy beyond, beyond mere things, like a satisfaction that runs deep, the, the things that we're, we're actually longing for. It's not just that greed is wrong, though it is. But it's not just that it's wrong. It's that it doesn't even make sense. I mean, not if, not if you're a follower of Jesus. Like, am I really going to believe the lies of money over the promises of Christ? Like, what's, what's wrong with me? And the only way to fight greed, I mean, you got to see the problem that it is, right? And you got to see that the, really the solution is embracing the promises of Jesus. But to learn to do that over and over again, to break the power, the chains of money and stuff. It's to start giving it away before you have nothing left. That's really, gets really personal, right? Give before your stuff takes over. Give till it hurts, then give some more. It's a paradox, isn't it? The more you want, the less you'll have, right? Even if you end up with way more, right? Because you're hoarding and, and taking and all of that. But, but the more you give the more joy you'll have, even though you'll likely end up with way less. Look at verse 17. This is how, how Paul applies this for Timothy. He says, verse 17, he says, as for the rich in this present age, and let's, you know, let's, for most of us here, that's us, right? I mean, comparatively, across historical standards, across the globe today, um, that's, that's us. He says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. You can't count on them anyway, right? But on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. That we have what we need. And there's nothing wrong with, with enjoying what, 
what God has given us, our possessions, our, our opportunities. I mean, don't miss that. He says, he says enjoy them, but he doesn't, he doesn't stop there. Look what he tells us to do in verse, verse 18. They, the, the rich, we are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Friends, there is no substitute in the fight against greed like giving it away. And I, again, I, I know how this sounds sitting in a church. I've, I've sat in your seat before, right? And for some of you I know, maybe you're thinking, oh, here it comes. I knew it. the church just wants my money. Like, I knew it was going to come eventually, right? And I, under, I understand your cynicism. I really do. But listen, and I hope you believe this. Maybe you've heard this before from us. And I know this, this statement kind of sounds trite or simplistic, but it's when we talk about giving, it's not what we want from you, right? It's what we want for you. And I, again, you can dismiss that as just some cute statement, but like if, if this is what greed is, like if we actually believe that it is this, this canyon that you and I, all of us here are potentially moments of falling cataclysmically into, if we actually believe that and that, that God shows us how to, how, to, how to be safe, how to keep from the edge, how, here's the cure, how can we not listen? For in the very act of giving, and whether I have nothing and can only give a few bucks, you know, or, or you have everything and can give whatever, Right? It's not the point. It's that every time I stretch out my hand to give, every time I do that, it gets just a little bit easier. It becomes a little bit more second nature. That over, over time, and not tomorrow, probably not, not next week, maybe not next month or even next year, but over time, like it actually, the, the, the bonds of stuff becomes looser in my life. It rewires my attachments as I do it over and over again. It frees me from the tyranny of more. It's like, you know, teaching the stupid monkey how to drop the treat, right? I know some of you uh, recently, maybe a few months ago, went through Dave Ramsey's uh, financial piece. We've been doing that across uh, various campuses. Um, and if you know anything about Dave Ramsey, whether you're in the class or not, like, he's like the money guru, and like, his big thing is you've got to get out of debt, right? I mean, that's, if you know, if you ever listen to his radio show, like, that's it. Like, get out of debt. Do that. Do that first. But what, what's so amazing to me about how he talks about that is, he's, yes, get out of debt, but also be generous. Like, don't stop giving, even as you're trying to get out of debt. And like, if you're sitting in the class, you're like, okay, Dave, uh, I, can, I can get out of debt, or I can be generous. Like, how, how do I do both? But here, here's why he says that. He knows, like, if you just pay off your debt, I'm talking specifically like consumer debt, like greed-based debt. Not, there's lots of kinds of debt, right? Don't, we don't have to get into that. But like the, the ones that are motivated by, by greed, if you just pay off your debt without learning to be generous, you're going to be back in the same place. Like you're not going to learn. It's not going to fix your heart. It's not going to change who you, you are. Whatever has pushed you into your debt remains. And the only way to ensure it doesn't happen again is to give, to find freedom. Besides, we were created to be generous. Think about how generous our God is. We're made in his image, made to be like him. It's in our nature to give. And in fact, 
like all kinds of studies recently, it's pretty fascinating, the last several years in neurology and sociology, I mean, you can find articles in the New York Times, you can find studies done by the professors at, at Notre Dame. I mean, I can send you some of these if you're curious, but all of them show that generous people are happier people. Like, that, it's just, like, it's true. Like, I mean, you know, the old adage, you can't buy happiness. But the irony is, like, if you give your money away, you can actually get happiness. Like, like there's something in this sort of hardwiring to give that when we live in the way that we're created, there's greater satisfaction and joy. After all, Jesus did say it's happier to give than to get. You know, tell that to my kids around Christmas, right? Because this is hard. And maybe you're, maybe you're sitting there this morning, you, you see your greed, you get at least a glimpse of it, see where it could crop up. And maybe you see the destructive force that it is, as I, as I do in my, in my life. And maybe you even, like, you want to give, but you're still struggling with, well, how? How do I do this well? How do I even think about this in ways that are, that are appropriate and healthy? And let me just really quickly try to offer three steps, three tips that have helped me. Okay, if, this, if it helps you, great. Um, if not, these are things that help me. First of all, because I know, I know me, I know my heart. Like, if I want to be generous, I have to watch my lifestyle. Like, I just have to be aware of the creep that happens. You know what I'm talking about? Like, the things that used to be luxuries, like, six months ago that are now commonplace. Like, you used to only buy that kind of cheese for that kind of occasion, and now it's just, like, always in your fridge. Like, it's, it's those kinds of, like, just be aware of, of the creep. And it's so freeing to, to remember that I don't have to live at the same level as my neighbors, income-wise. I don't have to keep up with anybody. I don't have to drive the same car, have the same house, or the same activities for my kids. Like, we, we don't have to live the same way as our peers. We don't have to embrace the same luxuries. You know, one of the, one of the best ways to keep an eye on your lifestyle is with an old-fashioned budget, which I know it's just lame to even say it, right? Um, but you will never be generous unless you plan to be generous. I mean, not really. Like, like not at the level that you, that you could be. You have to plan. And so for us and our, and our family, and, and Kelly and I, my wife, we've been doing this now for 15 years. Like, it's just, it's the top line of our budget is how much are we going to give away this month? And as our kids get their allowance, right, and we're trying to teach them and help them learn to, to be, like, it's just, like, the very first thing is how much are we going, are we going to give? Don't give the leftovers. Give first. Second. Second. So first, watch your lifestyle. Second, start small, but never Stop. I mean, none of it belongs to me anyway. That's always a good reminder. It's God's. So find a place to start giving, but never settle for where it is. Yeah, but Nathan, can you just tell me how much? Right? Anybody else? Just, just tell me what it is. And, and I, cause I, I know that question because I asked that question. You know what's behind that question? At least for me. Maybe like you might be better than me. Um, but like for me, it's greed. Because when I ask that question, it's like, just tell me the minimum right? Tell me the lowest I have to do, and I maybe can meet the minimum, right? And, and the reality is, I mean, I love what C.S. Lewis writes. Maybe you've heard this before. He says, I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our expenditure on comforts, luxuries, amusements, etc., is up to the standard common among those with the same income as our own. I think we got a little more here. I don't have it memorized. Let's see here. We are probably giving away too little. If our giving does not at all pinch or hamper us, 
I should say it is too small. There ought to be things, listen to this, there ought to be things we should like to do and cannot because our commitment to giving excludes them. There should be things in my life that I want to do, I want to own, but can't because I'd rather be generous. It's only generous if it hurts. Rebecca DeYoung Again, she's written on the, the vices. I, I'm sure you've, you've heard her quoted at, before. Um, searching for greed's antidote, she writes, perhaps the best advice is the oldest tithe. Mm. Well, not only do we believe that God expects us to do at least that, we also believe it's just a really good way to be formed. Because what she writes about in her book, the, the, the power of tithing, it's not, it's not about the percentage necessarily, um, it's not less than the percentage necessarily either, but it's so much more. It's the act of like just like every single time of giving something away. I mean, think about, think about this and I, like however you feel about this right now at all, but just imagine with me, like if you actually every week or every two weeks or every month or whenever you get paid, if you actually, first thing you do with your paycheck is to take 10% out and give it away. Like that hurts, first of all, but just imagine over time, how that's going, that very act of doing that is going to, it's going to change you. Like you won't be the same person. Again, not, not tomorrow or next week, but eventually like you're going to, you're going to actually become or be on this path of becoming a generous person. Now, a quick note on tithing. It's not necessarily the starting point, but it's also certainly not the finish line. I mean, some of you, you know, you hear 10%, maybe you've never really given consistently to anything and it's like 10% of you. What's wrong with you? Um, I do believe that God would have that for us, but maybe you need to start with three or five. You know, somewhere around, start somewhere. Start, pick a percentage, right? And say, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna start here and it hurts. Make sure it hurts. It's gotta hurt. And say, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna increase it. I'm gonna make a commitment to make it, to give more away over time. And it also means once you hit 10, like it's not the finish line. And many of us are doing that or giving, giving 10% or, or even, even more already. But the reality is many of us can afford to do even more than that, can't we? That we can keep pushing ourselves, not, um, not in a selfish way, but it is for our own good. Like it's, it's more than just about us, but it, it's it, that very act of release changes us. And again, I know so many of you do this. We have such a generous congregation. I mean, it's why we're able to spread out across campuses and, and do the kind of work engaged in our community that we are. Um, it's because of your generosity. So thank you for being so faithful. Last thing here. Remember, uh, we don't do any of this to earn from God. Uh, it's not so that he would bless us or save us. We do it because it's what he's done for us. It's how he's made us and we train ourselves to take hold of life. Don't miss that last little bit in verse 19, right? So the, the climax of what, what, what Paul says, it's so that they, the rich, <laughs> may take hold of that which is truly life. Not that which imposes as life or pretends to be life. Not the life that everybody runs after around us, but that which is truly life. For Jesus poured out everything on our behalf. I mean, he left the very riches of heaven, that glorious place, came down into the life of, in poverty, but also just in humanity, right? And to, to suffer and die, that he poured out all of his blood for us. He died for greedy people. And he rose again to make us whole, to allow us to enter into a better life. And so now everything we do is grace. 
And the reality is you can't outgive God, right? You can't do it. Well, let me just end with a quick story. I want to tell you a story of one of my, one of my absolute favorite moments as a pastor. This is, this is about a year and a half ago, and, um, or it started about a year and a half ago. This, this woman came to our church, um, single mom, young, um, and was at a, like, truly the lowest point of her life that she's ever experienced. Just, I mean, everything had fallen apart for her. She hadn't been to church in, like, decades um, since she was, like, a little kid, wasn't following Jesus and, and all of that, and yet somebody invited her because they knew that everything had fallen apart. And so, so she showed up, right, because she's just, she was in that place just of absolute desperation. And a couple weeks in, she, she came to me and said, Nathan, would you, would you pray for me? And, I, and she told me a little bit of her story, and I said, yeah, I'll pray for you. Can we also pay for your rent next month? And like, we can do that as a church because like, because of your generosity that we can do that. And she, she had no category for that. Like all, all was in her mind was like, like churches want my money, right? Like, Here's a church that actually gives. And she just broke down weeping, thinking here is a community that would do this. And yet the story doesn't, doesn't stop there because she, she kept coming, right? Um, and over time, a few months later, she gave her life to Jesus. And everything about her now, like a year and a half later, has changed. Like she is not the same person. She has, she has climbed out of a huge like pit of her of problem, like in pain and, and all of that, and her kids and, and all of that. She's thriving in, in a local church um, because, again, of, of our ability to be generous to her. And yet I, I, love, I love that the story doesn't stop there either because um, about a month and a half after she gave her life to Jesus, she came up to me one Sunday after church, and she just said, Nathan, I did it. I had no idea what she was talking about. Um, and frankly, I was a little bit nervous because like, oh, like, you're, like, you're just new at this Jesus thing. Like, what did you do? Um, and she could tell I didn't know what she was talking about. She said, I, I started tithing. And she must have saw, seen like the shock on my face at that moment because she followed up like, like, that's what we Christians do, right? And I said, well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's awesome to be generous. And again, in the back of my mind, like, I'm trying to fight back tears in that moment because the place where she was then, like, she needed our help way more than we needed hers. And yet she, she had taken hold of life that is truly life. Like, she'd, she'd received the generosity of Christ, and she was now ready not just to receive, but to, to give back and to be part of helping others through, through our church. Like, she tasted it. And friends, you and I, we have received so much. And when you, when you take hold of life, we give. For he has given us so much. God, help us be faithful. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, would you, would you pry open my hands? God, would you continue to expose in my heart and in my life where greed is unaddressed, where perhaps I don't even see it coming? God, would you show all of us those places in which we're just maybe too tight-fisted or, or too selfish with our, our money or time or our possessions, our relationships, our words? God, I pray that we, transformed by your generosity to us, would overflow to others in every capacity. God, we long to be that kind of people. We long to be that kind of church here and across our city. Help us, we pray. Amen.